Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Bring us, O Lord, at our last awakening into the house of heaven, to dwell in that house where there is no darkness nor dazzling, but one equal light, no noise nor silence, but one equal music, no fears nor hopes, but one equal inheritance, no ends nor beginnings, but one equal eternity. For you live and reign ever the same, world without end. Amen. I know many people who suffer gravely in the dark, in the night. You may know this, but most panic attacks happen to people in the evening with a lack of light, a lack of light that often plays with the mind. And many people, uh, like myself at times, have struggled with insomnia, where you just lie awake at night staring at the ceiling, hoping, praying that you'll go to sleep. But you can't find a consistent sleep pattern, and so you're awake at night and weary during the day. Uh, Many children, my own included, are fearful of the dark. Their imaginations can bend shadows into monstrous forms. Well, Scripture understands the power of the night, and it uses the imagery of darkness as a metaphor, a metaphor for many things, chaos, danger, ignorance, hiddenness, malice, and sin. Well, Holy Week is about a sacred pilgrimage, and that's what this sacred theater is all about tonight. It's a story of drawing people out of darkness into a new and everlasting light. And Holy Week is filled with a lot of darkness, it's true. Uh, When you think about the Monday Thursday service, if you were here, at the end of that service, we strip this area known as the chancel so that it's bare, and all of the servers up front take off this white garment, and we leave only the cassock underneath, a black garment, And so we become, for you, a black backdrop uh, as the vestiges of beauty are removed from this place and we, we end in darkness. And then on Good Friday, the day that we remember the death of Jesus and the bruised sky into which Jesus gazed as he was breathing his last, the solar eclipse that took the light away, Well, we remember that moment as our liturgy closes in silence and in darkness. Well, tonight's vigil begins in the evening, begins in the dark, and then that darkness is interrupted by an Easter fire which is kindled and then the Paschal candle which is lit. But it's still just one fire and then two in the midst of overwhelming darkness. But then, one by one, we walk into a dark room, and a candle is lit, and then another candle is lit, and the light begins to spread in this room like a little virus, 
And then we linger for an hour listening to scripture. We linger here in the dark, barely able to read our bulletins, with just a little flame uh, enlightening our eyes. And we do that until the grand announcement is made that the resurrection is real and the resurrection has happened and we jam the lights on to remember that moment, that it was in fact a moment in time when a dark world became dark no longer. And that liturgical pilgrimage from darkness to light is based on these lessons from Scripture. The biblical pilgrimage, after all, begins in the dark. The opening chapter of Genesis is full of darkness and a void, in fact, until God articulates something different when he says, let there be light. Well, the darkness then returns in the fall in which it seeks an unholy vengeance upon all that God has made. And our parents, we read about this evening, embrace the religion of the snake, serve yourself above all other things, and then the sun sets on paradise. Then the darkness remains for a while until a new shaft of light enters the cave. And that shaft of light fell on a man, a very old man named Abraham. God illumined this man in order to illumine everyone else because he told this old man that even in his old age, he would become the father, the biological father of a family that would lift the world, that would grant a universal enlightenment to everybody. And this man also became in a very strange story, a sort of precursor for God's relationship to his own son as he leads Isaac up the sacrificial or near sacrificial mountain. And then later, other shafts of light enter. We call them the prophets. And the prophets speak about a variety of things. They speak about a time when God will replace a stony conscience with one made of living tissue, the Prophets talk about a time when not only Israel will be the recipients of the blessed word of grace, but other countries that Israel would never even dream of as existing, let alone worthy to receive such a word. And also, more than that, maybe, maybe the God who made everything and then let it die would turn that purse around and start giving life back to the dead. The prophets gave this light this light to the world through their message. And then, at long last, a great bonfire entered the darkness. A man who said daring things, echoing the first words in Genesis. Things like, I am the light of the world. Putting himself as equal to God, claiming by those words to embody something of the earth's origins. I am the light of the world, but the darkness of the world fought back against such sentiments and consumed him. Satan co-opted both politics and religion. That tends to happen from time to time in order to snuff out the light. But the totalitarian regime of darkness didn't last very long, nor was it terribly effective. It couldn't even manage to rule and reign for an entire work week, not even three full days. And thus tonight we celebrate the triumph of the light. 
not as metaphysics, not as an idea, not as a mirage, not as a metaphor, not as a candle in the wind, not as a floating lantern. You can go to floating lantern ceremonies. I hear they're very moving. I'm not dissing them. We just have something better. We have something better. He triumphed. He triumphed as a real person with a real body wrapped tightly in real linen and placed in a real borrowed grave whose lungs, after being stilled for several days, began to contract and expand again. A pulse that stopped began to pump again and pupils were exposed and began to dilate. That we believe that a man who was once quite dead is dead no longer. The poet Dylan Thomas told us that the light is dying and the best that we could hope for is to rage against the dying of the light. I love his poetry, but he's not correct because this light is not in jeopardy. The light wins. We actually get a hint of that in the creation story through its very strange refrain. After each day, or most days, we hear this. There was evening, and then there was morning. It's very odd ordering. I don't think of my days like that. I would have said, if I had written the Bible, there was morning, and then there was evening. But instead, the Genesis account has it the other way around. There was evening, and then morning. St. Augustine makes a comment about the strange ordering. and He writes, with God, the story always concludes with the dawn. Tonight, we gather to tell the world's true story. And it has a mythic element because myth gets at the core of reality. This myth just happens to also be history. And the myth goes something like this. The light is real, and the light was human, and the light has definitively prevailed. Christ died and then stopped being dead for you. What's more, the Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life, shares the spoils of resurrection with all of us, adopts us, claims us just as we are, devastated, torn up, ambivalent, broken, fearful, tilting toward despair, not work everything out, never will, and says, you're the one I want. You're the one I choose. You're the one I forgive. You're the one I adopt. You are mine, and I am yours. That is how the light wins. That is how the resurrection flame spreads. Now, while the light's victory was entirely and forever definitive, we know that the world remains overwhelmingly dim and tarnished until, until his full establishment of that long-promised kingdom. Everything that we know and love bears the greasy fingerprints of midnight. But the good news of the gospel is that that cannot and in fact will not endure because resurrection is the world's true story. It happened once and that is the proof that it will certainly happen again on an even grander scale because the light wins. C.S. Lewis wrote this. I was standing today in a dark tool shed. Everything in that shed was pitch black but the sun was shining outside, and through a crack in the door there came a sunbeam. I moved so that the beam fell upon my eyes, and instantly I saw no tool shed, 
Instead, I looked into the beam, through it. And because of that, I only saw the light. And then through the light, I saw green leaves twirling on the branches of a tree. And beyond that, 90 million miles away, the sun itself. Yes, the shed was nearer and full of darkness. But the darkest of sheds cannot blot out the enormity of sunlight. Or to quote the poet Browning, If I stoop into a dark, tremendous sea of cloud, it is but for a time. I press God's lamp close to my breast. Its splendor, soon or late, will pierce the gloom. I shall emerge one day. Friends, my concluding word to you is very simple and endlessly profound. We belong to the dawn. You are a child of the light, and someday we will finally make our full exit from these dark sheds. And bathed in healing light, we will see, truly see, the silver glass and the white shores and a vast green country under that swift sunrise. Clement of Alexandria, a hundred years after Jesus' resurrection, put it this way, Christ has turned all of our sunsets into dawns. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Free at last, they took your life, they could not.